So again, it's very nice to be here. I'm honored to have the opportunity to visit here. My first time in South Carolina. And um, it's not that much different from North Carolina, <laughs> from what I've seen so far. Um, but uh, uh, it's, it's uh, again an honor, and um, I'll try to speak something um, spontaneously uh, and try to speak uh, in such a way that there's a mixed crowd. Some people are more familiar with spiritual topics in general, probably than others, and some more familiar with a particular tradition in which which I, I represent. And so um, you have to some some parts of the talk may be too high for some, too low for others. So everybody has to be a little patient with one another, hmm? and uh, and. And with me, uh, and I uh, with with you, and we try to um, cooperatively um, create a, an environment that is compelling for the pursuit of spiritual life, which is a great, uh, probably the greatest, well, without a doubt, the greatest challenge hmm? that uh, before human society. Um, It is an affair, uh, if I might cite the famous Bhagavad Gita Bodhayanantas Parasparam Tushyanticha Aramanticha. An affair of mutual mutual enlightenment between, if you will, speaker and listener. So, you have your part to play here. You're all on the stage of uh, life together. So, And then we're in the center of bliss. That's a good topic. Hmm. It might be good to then uh, talk about that uh, from uh, the vantage point of our uh, devotional tradition, the bhakti tradition, Krishna bhakti. Hmm. Bhakti mm, comes from the Sanskrit root bhaj, which means to, to really to give and to take. To, to it um, implies reciprocal dealings, which is really what love is about. Uh, if we were to evaluate love, perhaps on a, on a scale, it would be determined by the measure or the extent to which there were reciprocal dealings, the extent to which I became you, in effect, and you became me. Somehow or other, if the two of us could become one without extinguishing one another at the same time, this is uh, very the nature of love. You and I become we. It's not that you disappear or I disappear, but there is a dynamic uh, union that comes about in love, which makes for a unity in which, nonetheless, somehow or other, diversity also remains. So, love, anandam, that is a of course, the Sanskrit term for bliss. So, the center of Ananda. How will we, how will we get there? If we, uh, uh, we could start at the circumference, which is where most of us are. Most of us are situated. 
on the circumference of bliss, uh, which is seems to be somewhat elusive, hmm? material life, ordinary life, um, life that is centered around something that inherently is not blissful, a conventional ego, a conventional sense of self, such as I am American or I am South Carolinian or North Carolinian or I am a man or a woman or a Catholic or a Hindu. Um, it gets that bad. Uh, this uh, conventional ego is not uh, something that is inherently joyful. It's, it's um, a sense of self that uh, appears to be threatened with uh, uh, well, with non-existence, the, the, the possibility that, that myself as American or man or woman or whatnot uh, is, uh, is not enduring. We kind of know this. We kind of ignore it, but we know it. Death is all around us. It doesn't bother us unless it gets close. Hmm? But uh, even on the windshield down here, we were experiencing it. Hmm? It didn't bother us, but hmm, but it bothers us when it gets close to us, hmm? so to speak. So, point being, at any rate, that our uh, conventional sense of self is not one that endures. Hmm? And it's not that happy anyway. Hmm? It's, uh, it's a very limited sense of self. And this then, I would say, would be on the peripheral or very outer end of the circumference of a blissful center. In other words, there's some happiness in it. If the center is blissful, then it must radiate out and there must be levels of ananda or pleasure or happiness hmm? throughout. But, of course, we want to go to the center from the circumference. But what keeps us on the circumference, in one sense, is the, is the prospect that it could be blissful. In other words, everyone's driven by the idea of ananda, joy, well, love. We exist, we, we know that we do. I should say we think that we do. And we exist for the purpose of loving. We're driven for for joy, for happiness, I want to—I want to equate, if you will, if you'll permit me, love with anandam, with bliss. And and so, in our uh, material life, there's a there's naturally a prospect for bliss. It's what makes the whole thing worth living. We're driven by it. But unfortunately, it is um, some false advertising there hmm? in terms of arriving about the, at the measure of happiness, if you will, or joy that we, w- we would like to arrive at without any inhibiting uh, uh, factor, without any distress factor, hmm? in an enduring sense, without end, hmm? That is um, 
our pursuit, and that is not something we're going to arrive at hmm, on the circumference. Hmm. But there is some joy, some under there, some happiness, and it drives us to continue to 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 think that in our present condition we could um, get the whole meal, so to speak. We're offered but an appetizer, an appetizer, a carrot, hmm? and in the form of acquisition, that if we just acquire something more, hmm? or just change the, um, the basic elements hmm? and get a different uh, wife or a different husband, or uh, same idea acquisition, whether it be on, with regard to our relationships with people. You wanted to make a comment? A question, is that okay if I ask? It'd be better to wait till the end, but go ahead. Okay, it's about like, what if you keep on fighting having an ego, even like a sense of self, like you're always at odds with like your ego, and that's what I, I found myself you're trying not. to hunt spiritually to become someone, but always fighting against being whatever it is, like not having a solid sense of ego, so... Does that play Fighting against having an ego? Like, yeah, like, against, I don't know how to put it, like, against sure. being female or male, against being in South Carolina and considering myself, like, a South Carolinian, like, against being... You find yourself fighting against that. All these different, like, typical things that people maybe don't even think about, you know? Who's fighting against it? Well, that's a good question, you see. That's that's the way answer we want to arrive at. So. So, if there's a false sense of self, hmm, somebody real has to determine that. Hmm? Right? If I think there's a false self, who's doing the thinking? Who's making that determination? Where is that coming from? So, I'll put it in William James's terms, if you will. There's a me and there's an I. Hmm? Okay, there's a me. Me, me the, what he meant is that there's a small conventional sense of self, like you said, I'm a man or woman and so forth. But there's an overriding or underlying I, which is also, of course, a capital letter. And uh, me is a small letter in the English language. Interestingly enough, do you know what the most common word in the English language is? What is the most common, most used word? I'll give you a hint. It's the same in every language. It's I. Hmm? So we're, I guess we're important <laughs> to ourselves. <laughs> so there, so I'll get to that. Hmm? That's a good question, and it, it has much to do with moving from the circumference to the center in pursuit of bliss, if you will. Hmm? I'm trying to first really kind of pin down or corner this, co- this conventional ego and expose him or her for who she is. Hmm? And uh, she's like the Wizard of Oz, something like that, if you will. Hmm? It's an old one, I know, but it's a classic. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, there's a bundle, if you will. Let's put it in, in, in terms of, say, philosophy of mind. You have the idea that we as human beings have experiences, qualitative experiences, qualia, like what it is to experience red or blue or happiness or sadness. Um, 
this is a very perplexing question for philosophers of mind who often begin their examination of this phenomenon of experiencing (laughs) from the position a a priori that that all that everything is physical there is nothing spiritual everything is natural naturalism physicalism materialism these are more or less synonyms so many in the scientific and philosophical community today they begin their investigation um, into properties, if you will, of mind, experience, feelings, a sense of self, with the premise that uh, it's got to be all physical and we can reduce it down to something that's going on in the brain, neurons firing in a certain way, they got their wires crossed, and the lights are on there, but there's really nobody home, is their idea. Many people's ideas in that community. It's not a scientific conclusion, it's a scientific conjecture. Hmm? A metaphysical position, really has been taken. Um, so they would think then the sense of self is a product of various experiences. Through my senses, let's say, uh, I get a perception of matter, the objective world, and I make determinations about that this is hot, this is cold, this is good, this is bad, this is happy, this is sad, and then an identity forms on the basis of those perceptions. Hmm? Some people in the scientific community, they think like this. This happens to be uh, what the Bhagavad Gita thinks also. Hmm? Very interesting. Of course, the Bhagavad Gita doesn't stop thinking there and conclude that there is no self, it concludes that there's a false self that has been constructed. Hmm? It's called ahankar. Hung means I in Sanskrit, and kar means make, I maker. It's a made-up I. It's a manufactured I. Hmm? I am South Carolinan, for example. Just like <laughs> it's just a made-up idea, if you will, hmm? in the world of your mind. And unfortunately, it's a small idea. Mm-hmm. The world of our mind, with our goods and bads, happies and sads. I mean, for me it's good, for you it's bad. Which is it? For you it's hot, for me it's cold. So, which is it? We're obviously, to one extent or another, living in the world of the mind and the eye that's formed there on the basis of perceptions and desires. Mm-hmm. We have a sense of my, very small word, but it produces a very big problem called the I. Hmm? This is the false I in this sense. Hmm? Because Why is it a problem? Because if our sense of what is mine determines what I am, why is it a problem? Because nothing is mine. <laughs> That's a fact. Hmm? Not for very long, anyway. So the I that arises out of a false sense of my or proprietorship is as false as the false sense of proprietorship. Hmm? So this is a problem, this small I. Hmm? And it's invariably at odds with everybody else's small I, although we can get together at times and and agree to certain things. Hmm? Okay, 
This is warm enough. This is cold enough. You and I agree we can have a relationship. <laughs> Something like that. Still, there's going to be a rub here and there. The relationships are difficult, right? Hmm? But we think they shouldn't be. Hmm? We have to go to the center, you see. We are in the circumference. Hmm? Trying to find what lies at the center of bliss on the circumference. This is a, this is a very uh, problematic uh, attempt. Hmm? Hmm? The world of the mind, the small world, if you will, of, of a conventional sense, a made-up eye, hmm? it's, it's, very, uh, it's a troubled place. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not the center of bliss. But we think it should be the center of everyone else. Hmm? It's not even making us comfortable, but we think everybody else should be comfortable living in there and, and agreeing with my determinations about things. It's very unreasonable. It's an unreasonable self. It's an unhappy self. Hmm? It's not in the position for tasting bliss because it's not in the position for loving. Hmm? It's a taker. You understand? It's based on taking. It's based on this I, this false I, conventional I, conventional ego, is based on the sense that that I am what, so to speak, I own, or I am one with my um, wants, my desires. Wanting is a vacuous, there you go, position to begin with. It's an empty position to begin with. Hmm? Even psychologically, we know, materially speaking, you're in a better position to enter into a relationship if you are comfortable with yourself rather than depending on somebody else to do it for you. That's not, that's not a good way to enter into a relationship. So taking it to a metaphysical um, um, perspective, the same holds true. This false self, this conventional self, is not a lover. He or she is a taker. Hmm? It is an existence, an I, that's being threatened by the very environment in which it lives. Well, it's, it's not very comforting. Hmm? I wonder you're, you're at odds with it, feeling this, a struggle with it. Hmm? It's a struggle to keep up. Hmm? But the, the material nature, if you will, uh, the, the, the objects of the senses, the, 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 so, the forms that we see, the sounds that we hear, the aromas that we smell, that which we uh, contact with our tactile sense, they all say something to us, like there's a little flickering happiness there that, again, is like, like an appetizer. Hmm? Have me, hear me, see me, touch me, feel me, taste me, smell me, and that's how we're trying to be blissful. Hmm? Hmm. But the fact of the matter is those things can never be fully apprehended even. Hmm? Things, matter, the objective world, we, we only experience an approximation of those things hmm? through the medium of the mind. Hmm? And what we experience, they are, is slightly different than what somebody else has experienced with us. It's, it's hard to come to much uh, peace here or agreement. Hmm? Hmm? We are seeking happiness through Acquisition of such, contact with such, hmm? that contact with this, these objects of the senses it takes us into the objective world to identify with it. Hmm? And everything that happens in the objective world we think is happening to us. And what happens in the objective world? All things are here today and gone tonight. 
You don't have to wait till tomorrow. Hmm? And so we live with trepidation. Hmm? Not with joy, but with trepidation. It's underlying, so to speak. There's an underlying discomfort. We try to cover it and we mask it and we keep taking the, how you call it, appetizers, but we only get indigestion. Hmm? Hmm? And the thought, for example, of the sacred texts of India and the mystics and so forth is, look in another direction. But that is such a, back, a different way from we are used to acquiring hmm? and thinking that I will be by having. Having to have is to be. Hmm? Fromm wrote a book years ago of to be, to have, to be and to have. Something like that. Hmm? He made the point that in language, for example, many languages, not all of them, not the Indic languages, for example, but in the English language we say, I have a problem. Hmm? In Sanskrit we'd say, I am troubled. You understand the difference? I am troubled. I have a problem. It's a very different world, actually. Trouble is a subjective condition, an experience. It's subjective. It's not an objective thing. Hmm? But when you say, I have a problem, I've taken a subjective condition and made it into something objective. Hmm? And so this orientation, where I identify with the objective world, is a huge problem because everything in the objective world, again, is here today and gone you know, s- shortly thereafter. Hmm? They're all appearances only. I've identified with appearances. I do it in my everyday language. It's so, we're so ingrained, I want to say, in moving in a particular direction in pursuit of happiness. And it is the direction of ignorance, of course. Ignorance is bliss, so there is some happiness <laughs> in ignorance. Some happiness. It's a fact. There is some. On the circumference. There must be, because the center is bliss. Hmm? There must be. But only the circumference, only the, only this uh, peripheral hmm? bliss, that corresponds with ignorance, with not knowing. Hmm? So the bliss of having is at the cost of the bliss of being. The more I think that my being depends upon my having. Hmm? And my happiness, my bliss, is derived from what I have. Hmm? The less happy I'll be, in as much as, in the least, that I won't be at a certain point. Because I can't have whatever I want to have forever. And the I, derived from my having, is on death row. Hmm? It's not going to endure So this is a huge problem, but we are so oriented towards it. We can have talks like this, gatherings and so forth. We can hear it and so forth. And we can go out and just continue to, we're on it. We have a default, so to speak. Hmm? As we know from the yoga perspective, we've been around for a long time. Hmm? Through many lives, through many species, and all oriented in this way. The real eye is oriented towards false eye. Just like if you take a virtual reality now, a computer... um, terminology. You can have so many things going on in the virtual reality that, and you can plug into it and kids get lost in it, I've heard, um, so to speak. Nothing's really happening to them, but 
by identification with the virtual reality, they, um, I guess they become troubled or happy accordingly within that world. So we, we live in kind of a, uh, a virtual reality. We've identified with, for example, death, which is a biological affair. Hmm? It is said that there are 128 questions that science hasn't answered. I'd say there are probably 1,008 they haven't thought of yet. But, but um, at the top of the list is, what is the biological makeup of consciousness? There's a big problem with this question. Hmm? As science prides itself, and it, as it should, in objectivity, the problem is even people who wear white coats are humans. You follow me? Humans tend not to be objective all the time. We are emotional beings also, and our objectivity is obscured by our emotions, by our attachments. Indeed, our I, materially speaking, as I'm speaking, hmm, is all based on attachments, not objectivity. If we were to be objective, as we're trying to do now, which is a little troublesome, requires a little exercise of the intellect to pay attention and so forth, and, uh, the senses tend to distract us and so on and so on. But if we do, uh, this false eye can collapse. Hmm? But in science which is based on objectively looking at something and coming to a determination of what it really is, who's doing the experiments, as we know, they're humans also. They have attachments and biases. And here is a particular bias built in to the question, an important question. The question is, what is the biological makeup of consciousness? It presupposes that there is one, that consciousness is biological, that consciousness, for example, a, 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 a conjecture would be, no, the biological basis of consciousness is the brain, and it is an emergent property of the brain that comes out. There it is. just does something out there. Well, it does everything, doesn't it? Hmm? It's everything that we do is consciousness. But it, it's, for many, for, for centuries, scientists try to like not talk about consciousness. It's just some... We don't entirely understand it. It's maybe like the liver exerts bile, so the brain consciousness. Well, yeah, bile is similar to the liver, and both of them are similar to the brain, but consciousness isn't similar to any one of those things because they are things. And consciousness is not a thing. So as long as we're preoccupied with things... In the objective world alone, rather than with ourself, who's labeling the things hmm, and doing the examination, hmm, we won't have a clear understanding of what is the self. The self is different from matter. There is a supernatural, and it's us. Hmm? Hmm? If consciousness is not a product of the brain, hmm, if it has no biological foundation, Hmm? then at least theoretically and philosophically, we've solved the death problem. Well, to speak of the economic problem, the uh, hunger problem, the disease problem, I mean, all, they're all, uh, it's all solved. It sounds pretty simplistic. Hmm? It is. But simple things are sometimes very hard to do. Hmm? Oh, it said, what a web we weave when at first we choose to deceive. So the deception... Hmm? Vishnu Maya, 
the, the deception that the virtual reality of material nature has uh, uh, we are we're entangled with is very very powerful hmm? and to see a simple truth hmm, is difficult and to see it as one thing and to act upon it is another we've been acting in a different way for a long long time that's our default so we need something powerful to make a change hmm? good good company sadhu sangha Hmm? Um, this kind of kirtan or something hmm? something uh, coming from the other side so the other perspective there's not a lot of people in this world from that side so hmm? the world just goes on pursuing the appetizers but the all good people have some interest in these topics it should not go in vain hmm? Hmm? come together for a meeting like this, not for entertainment, but for changing our lives. And of course, in the direction in which we have a sense, an intuitive sense, it should go. And it will be happier if it does. It will be happier for us and for everybody concerned and for those unconcerned hmm, as well. I was speaking like this and one fellow asked, what about the world, though, Swami? Hmm? problems of the world. I said the world is the problem, <laughs> as you perceive it. Hmm? You can go here and you can solve this problem, and you can do the po- political problem, the f- hungry problem, the, the violence problem, the domestic pro- violence problem, the international violence problem, hmm? the national violence problem. <laughs> and this, you, you press down here, it comes up over here. You press down there, it comes up over here. Hmm? Need a comprehensive solution. I told him, "You want to you want to help the world? You're part of the world. You help yourself. Hmm? Well, a good good beginning would be to know what you are, hmm? and what you're not. So far, we've been talking about what we're not and the problems with it. It's easily to easy to identify with. I think hmm? the problems." of the world of my mind and the eye that's formed there. Hmm? The reason it perpetuates, though, hmm, is because there's some prospect for bliss. And why is there some prospect for bliss in our material life? Because there's bliss at the center. Therefore, there's some bliss at the circumference. Hmm? But that bliss at the circumference corresponds with ignorance. That is the bliss that they say, uh, what is it? Ignorance is. Ignorance is bliss. Hmm? That's not a wise bliss. It's not a wise love. Hmm? But something better than nothing. So if we're not wise, we don't have a Buddha in our family, hmm? uh, then we, we settle for whatever bliss we can find, so to speak. If we can't get a full meal, well, we'll keep eating appetizers. At least we won't die. We may have indigestion all the time, but at least we won't die. Hmm? Something like this. This is, the, this is the life of the conventional ego. It's pathetic, actually. Hmm? It's pathetic. But without knowledge, then, what can we expect? Hmm? And the interesting thing here is that, <laughs> there are a lot of them, <laughs> forgive me, but, but on the circumference, hmm? 
Ignorance is bliss. Now the circumference must have some correspondence with the center. So I want to take us from the circumference to the center, and we'll find this idea, ignorance is bliss, has its place there too. Hmm? But it's wholesome and happy. That's a very esoteric point. So we try to follow as we go. Point being this. If now we were to move from the circumference and start to head towards the center, we have to move away from the ignorance of thinking that what I am is this South Carolina or this or that woman, man, and so on. Hmm? And, and, and there's a good reason, as I'm saying, that, that we should want to move away from that. As you were saying, I find myself wanting to move away from that. Most people don't care about it. Hmm? You've got to find other people that care about it, and there are some. Hmm? Somehow you've been touched by this, these kind of ideas, however vaguely, and they don't allow you to be comfortable with the ongoing pursuit of uh, the conventional sense of self and, and, and making it happy. Hmm? It just doesn't work for you entirely. So, you know, you lose friends over that. Hmm? They say, let's go out and do this. And you think, I don't know, that doesn't have a lot of meaning for me, and so forth. And does it have to have meaning? It's fun. Let's go. You know, but yeah. So, so then you know, it's like somehow how this happens. How we end up here, at the center of bliss. I mean, we <laughs> obviously we've been we we I've said for lifetimes and lifetimes we are going in a certain direction in different species of life. The direction is the call of the wild. Hmm? That by taking, I will survive. One living being, jivo jivasajivanam, it's a very Darwinian statement. One living being is food for another. Hunters and hunted. Hmm? The idea that by acquiring I will be, I am. Hmm? This is at the loss of any real enduring being. Hmm? Any experience of enduring being. So without enduring being, there'll be no enduring happiness. Hmm? So somehow we've been touched. We don't know how necessarily. Hmm? In previous lives, in this life, maybe it becomes a little more clear. I met a sadhu, a saintly person. He or she changed my life, made me think differently. So, and then other sadhus come into our life is accumulated from the other side. I so said there are not a lot of people from the other side, from the subjective world, who are living in the subjective meditative world, appearing here to talk to us not only about there, but about here also, and let us see it in a way that we haven't seen it previously. Oh my God, that's what it is. That's what I was doing. No wonder I'm not happy. So somehow, some of us have been touched, so we we, we like these kind of discussions. Hmm? We find them meaningful. Hmm? So we have to keep together. This is the point. It's like those people who get see a UFO. And then they go, there was a UFO just landed in the backyard. And you go and tell your family and they come out, of course, the UFO's not there when they come. <laughs> so then they look at you rather strangely, hmm? try to get you to forget about it, but you can't forget about it. It was very profound. Hmm? So then you find some other people. You join a UFO club, basically. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it too. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Something like that. That's where we are. Yoga people. We're a little crazy. <laughs> In a good way, huh? Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> we don't fit. That's why we're always stretching those things. <laughs> it's not quite right. <laughs> we feel. We. This is what it is. We feel that there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind, and it's us. We are, there's more to us. Hmm? We are the more. Hmm? What is that more? We are that non-material thing that's not like anything because it's not a thing. It's consciousness. It's not a thing. Well, what is it, Swami? Can you define it? Not very well. Then? Hmm? Must not be very important. No, no. I cannot define it very well to you because the way in which we define things is to compare one thing to another thing. Read Webster. Compare one thing to another thing. Okay, I got it. Hmm? But if what we're talking about is not a thing, and our frame of reference is all things, how can we talk about it? Hmm? But the fact that we can't talk about it doesn't mean it make it make it less important. It means there's, for lack of a better word, something. It's not a thing. Hmm? And it's us. Hmm? What is it? What is consciousness? Now we have to come from ignorance and the bliss that's there and leave that so-called bliss, hmm? which from another's perspective is misery. In the Gita, Krishna says, hmm, he says what? He says, from the womb, hmm, dukkha, it means misery. Dukkha yonai evate. Hmm? The attachment is the womb from which suffering is born. Hmm? Attachment is the womb from which suffering is born. I'm attached to something, and I say to you, that's going to cause you distress. And you say, but I like it. And then I say, well, how much do you like it? I like it a lot. Then I say, well, you can't keep it. Now it's become even more problematic. It was problematic enough. <laughs> now you like it and you can't keep it. Now it's even more problematic. So attachment is the womb from which suffering is born. The Buddha said the same thing. Hmm? Problem. And attachment is the appearance of love. It's the appearance of love. It's actually a taking. And love is actually a giving. Hmm? So again, we are in pursuit of love, ananda, but only we have a semblance of it, a shadow of it, hmm? and the corresponding ignorance. So if we're going to move away from that uh, so-called bliss, semblance of bliss, shadow of love, hmm? we have to move, we're going to move towards knowledge. Hmm. So we're moving away from ignorance and the so-called bliss of ignorance to knowledge. We've moved in from the circumference. And good measure. We've moved from things and the attachment to them, to ourself. And this is the higher self, the I, that not I am American, I am Indian, I am black, I am white, but I am. I am is way bigger than I am this or that. In Upanishads, it is, it is said, they want to speak about consciousness it says, one of the ways it speaks, neti, 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 neti. It means, it's very simple. Not this, not that, not this, not that, not this, not that. 
How are we supposed to make sense out of that? Hmm? Not this, not that. Oh, it's a very profound statement. You, you need some commentary. <laughs> yeah. They meditate on it. They came to the conclusion, not this, not that, not this. We are all preoccupied with this and that. I am this, I am not that. I am not th- I like this, I don't like that. This, that. All things. Hmm? None of these things. None of these things. Hmm? So the I derived from attachment to things that I'm not. Hmm? And that's a big statement. I am saying, I am not that. So there is an I. Hmm? And it's big. Capital letter. Big. Compared to the me, if you will, the small I, me. Hmm? It's huge. Hmm? It's huge. And, and it's, it's, it, it, so it's a, it's a kind of being. Okay? Well, let's describe consciousness. Let's try to. What is consciousness? What is meant? In the Upanishads, in the sacred texts of the uh, of the East, what is, what is I? Hmm? What what is consciousness? It is being. Sat. Sat means that it doesn't undergo transformation. What is the transformation? All things undergo transformation. Hmm? Dust to dust, they say. Ashes to ashes. One thing turns into another thing, such as the nature of the world. All things, under they come into being. Hmm? They endure for a while. Hmm? And they dissolve and turn into something else, right? Hmm? Oceans become rain, hmm? become clouds. Hmm? If you tell about the ocean and the cloud, same thing. It doesn't make any sense, but... Life doesn't make a loss, but this way it works. Hmm? Everything under transformation. Hmm? So, if we are to say everything is undergoing undergoing transformation, hmm? well, there's something that's saying that. <laughs> something has to be observing that to make that observation, and it can't be undergoing the transformation to make the observation. Hmm? When you're sitting on a plane, you don't feel like you're going anywhere. You're sitting there. Hmm? If you're on the ground, you can see how it's going like this, across the sky. Hmm? If we are fully identified with the transformations of nature, hmm? Hmm. we can't make that observation. The fact that we can means that there's something different from nature that's enduring, that doesn't undergo the transformations, that can make the observation. Hmm? So we are the observer. Hmm? That means that sat, consciousness, doesn't undergo the transformations that all material things go through. That means it's not here today and gone tomorrow. That means consciousness is not biological. Hmm? This is the, the philosophy. Consciousness is not biological. The death problem is a biological problem. It's a psychological problem to some extent. Hmm? But it's not an existential problem. Hmm? Existence doesn't go away. I mean, experiential existence doesn't go away. Any more than electricity goes away by unscrewing a light bulb. It disappears in the room for the moment, but obviously it's alive and well elsewhere. So we're kind of electric then, used to to play out the analogy. Hmm? And not being a product of, of matter... Well, the implication is we have no beginning, 
not being under, undergoing transformation, we have no end. So consciousness is enduring being, some kind of unit of enduring being. It's very different from the, the, the appearance of things. The appearance of things is so unreal that from the point of view of Vedanta, we call it unreal. Just like you call things in your dream unreal sometimes. Why? Because they're just so short. Hmm? Well, our life as an American is really quite short. <laughs> quite short yeah. and quite unreal by the same standard of measurement and determination. Hmm? A little longer than you dream at night, but it's a dream. It's a nightmare, actually. Hmm? Especially these days. <laughs> to be an American, to be anything in this world. But, uh, as such. but at any rate, so... Hmm? We come now to being. Hmm? Consciousness is, is a unit of enduring being. It doesn't undergo the transformations that matter undergoes. Now I just solved, in a sense, uh, theoretically, the death problem. It's not a problem. It doesn't pertain to me. I'm a unit of experiential existence. I'm so different from matter because it doesn't experience. How different is that? I was asked, what is the most profound experience that you've had in life, Swami? I said, the fact that I experience. It makes me different from all things, and you too. Hmm? You understand what I'm saying, right? I give an example sometimes of a pool ball, a billiard ball. We don't expect at any point in playing pool, and I don't play, but um, if you... I, had, I have, so I know, when I was a kid. If you hit the ball, the ball never says, could you use a little chalk? on that? Could you put me in a different hole? Ouch. It's ridiculous to think that the pool ball will respond like that, right? With an experience of pain or pleasure. Hmm? It's just the pool ball. My point is, all material things are made of the same things. There's no difference in what the pool ball is constituted of and our brain is constituted of. It's just a different arrangement of the same things. So to think that experience come out of the brain, if you will, is like thinking that a pool ball could potentially say, ouch, at some point, if we just arrange the pool ball a little differently. Hmm? Hmm. It's magical thinking, actually. Hmm? It's more reasonable to conclude Oh, there's something more than the physical, and it's experiential. Hmm? And matter is non-experiential. And how exciting it would be to move into the experiential world proper, so to speak, rather than to try to be, in, to be an experiencer in relation to that which doesn't experience. How can I, where will be the reciprocation? We're looking for bliss. We equated it with love and love with reciprocal dealings. How much can matter reciprocate with us? or someone who thinks they are matter. Hmm? Which wouldn't matter. Matter, that is. If we didn't matter about it. Hmm? Consciousness does the mattering, if you will. Hmm? If, if matter was important, independent of consciousness, who would know about it? Hmm? We are the knowers. So from being to knowing. Hmm? What I'm saying is the being derived from having is ignorance. Now there's a being derived from knowing. Oh, and it's very different. 
it actually is. The being derived from having, like, I am American because I have a passport, or it means I identify with, 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 a, with a particular attractive land somewhere, hmm? which now is called America, which previously was called who knows what and what will be called in the future, hmm? which nobody owns and we, we, time rules and so on and so forth. Hmm? So the I, the being, hmm? that's derived from the material attachments and so forth, it, it, it's, it's really illusory as the things themselves are. But if I move away from that ignorance to knowing, to, to, to being, hmm? based on knowing what I'm talking about here, now we've got an existence, a being, that's not derived from having, just pure being. There's a kind of knowing in that. It's hmm? different from the ignorance of material attachment and the shadow of bliss and love that's derived from it. So, when I move from from that ignorance to being, along comes knowing, and so there's a kind of happiness there, too. Love happiness, and it's real happiness, real joy, real ananda. Hmm? It's enduring. Hmm? But what is it? Okay. We talked about the bliss of ignorance. Now we're talking about the bliss of knowing. And knowing means knowing that I am and that I am not American or Indian or black or white. Hmm? And knowing it means, well, just why we nod our head. Yes, yes, that's some kind of knowing. <laughs> that will be good if you use your head to soften your heart and do something about it hmm? and make a change. Hmm? There's a start. There's a start. These sessions are that kind of thing, to make a start. If I can be successful, I can arrest your intellect so you'll stop. I don't know if I accept that or not. I can just go into your heart, make a change. Hmm? Create a sangskar in your chitta for moving in a different way, in the way you really want to move anyway. Hmm? But you've been inhibited by your attachments and ignorance acquired over lifetimes and so forth. So what is the bliss then of knowledge if we were to pursue this? Hmm? I'm not matter, I'm consciousness. Well, sacred texts tell us it, it, is, it is like a huge relief. A huge relief. It's like, for example, this false I is kind of like someone living on death row. I mean, death is sure for it. Hmm? So we, we are all gonna, it's all it's going to die. Ayurharati Vaipum, some beautiful poem from Bhagavad. Ayur harati bhai pum samudjana stan jayana so. Tasyarta yachunu nitya uttama shloka vartaya. The first part. Ayur harati bhai pum sam. Ujjana stan jayana. Ujjana stan jayana so means rising and setting of the sun. It says the sun is flying across the sky from east to west. Hmm? And then a beautiful picture comes to our mind. The sun is flying across the sky from east to west. And Ayur Harati. The Bhagavad, one of the sacred texts, sequel to the Gita, tries to tell us these very profound and sometimes painful truths, as truth can be painful, 
in as beautiful ways as possible to make it somewhat digestible. Hmm? So it's a beautiful analogy that's conjured up. The beautiful rising and moving of the sun across the sky. It's rising and setting and ayurharati. You know ayur? Ayurved? Ayur means life and harati means take away. Hmm? With the rising and the setting of the sun, everyone's life as they know it is being taken away. Hmm? The rising and setting of the sun is killing you. Hmm. It's like, well, <laughs> got to use more than psychedelic drugs to look at the sunset and get that <laughs> for the impression. That's a profound insight there. That's beautiful in a, in a scary way, but it is beautiful. Because hmm? it doesn't stop there. The verse goes on to say, what to do about that? Hmm? How to live forever? Hmm? We'll get to that. Hmm? It speaks about bhakti there, how to love wisely. Hmm? and live happily, blissfully in the center of bliss. Hmm? But we're at the stage here, somewhere in between ignorance and knowing and the being, enduring being that goes with it, and loving and that is wise. Hmm? So we have to get there. Just bear with me. What is the bliss then of knowing that I be? Hmm? I just got let off a death row. Something like that. Wow, they found out, they checked my DNA, I'm not guilty. <laughs> I'm out. Hmm? Imagine, you know, just it's just a material example, but a huge relief. You get the notice. You're, you're free. Hmm? It's a huge relief. So in some schools of, of transcendental thought and pursuit, this is such a big thing, they just stop there. Hmm? And they love the idea of being. Hmm? Love to exist in an enduring way. I love the fact that I exist Whew. because I thought and it looked like I wouldn't at some point. And the one that I was trying to maintain wasn't worth maintaining anyway, the existence. So I was really in a jam there. And by spiritual pursuit, I can't, oh, I'm so happy. I love to exist. Hmm? So what I'm saying is there's some bliss, there's some love, hmm? ananda, in being and the knowing that I be, in the sense in which I'm talking about it. It's so powerful, that bliss of knowing that I exist, knowing it, I mean knowing it. You see, that ends all problems, doesn't it? All fears. We, our life is pervaded by fear. However you want to call it, fear, anxiety. It's, 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 we have this tension. We're going to go to, to the bliss center, the center of bliss. Who will be there? How do I look? You know, even <laughs> These ideas even carry us here. You know? Will he be there? Will she be there? You know, do I have to deal with that guy? You know, all the, this is on a subtle level, and then on a very crude level, of course, what do I eat? I may lose my house, or they may send me to fight some war, who knows what. You know, this, this fear, anxiety, pervades the world. Hmm? And as much as we are attracted to nature and the less complex forms of life, if we look carefully, we see they're pretty fearful too. Just like that. And off they go. Right? Afraid of us, particularly. Because although we're animals, hmm, we also have intelligence. The problem is we use our intelligence to be bigger animals most of the time. Therefore, we have the most dangerous species out there. 
Intelligence should not be used for this. We should not make an unholy wedlock between intelligence and the mind and the senses. Intelligence should be, be trained to guide the self to rise above the mind and the senses, not to find ways to pursue the demands of the senses, to be a big taker, a big hunter. You understand what I'm saying? We can use our intelligence just to do, well, my guru once said, I don't see the difference. He said, dog is running on four legs and, cha- and, and barking. This was like back in like the, well, early 60s, late 50s, particularly. And man is riding on four wheels and blowing the horn. Same thing. Dog is barking, looking, male dog, looking for a female. You know, in the 50s, late, early, the guys used to drive in cars, blow the horn. That was the thing. You know, hey, baby. You know. So, <laughs> so what's the difference? Hmm? You got four wheels, the other guy got four legs, one barking, one using a horn. But the interest is the same. So you made a car. You could have just had four legs and done the same thing, just barked practically, you know. But that's uh, so all it is. And all that energy spent for that? All intelligence to make a car? For what? For that only? Oh, it should be used for something else. If it distinguishes us from the less complex forms of life, it only does so in as much as we use it to act differently than less complex forms of life. And what's the difference in acting? Hmm? Loving, giving, rather than taking, moving in the opposite direction. Hmm? So when we stop taking, using our intelligence, that is like, kind of like giving, right? Not taking is included in giving, but there's more to giving than not taking. Do you follow me? So a wise person, the Buddha was wise, he advised like this, stop taking. The thirst to take is causing suffering, as we said earlier. Stop taking. Hmm? And be. Hmm? And you could say, be happy that I'm not taking and nobody's chasing me, therefore. Because the karmic rule is, as much as you take, well, someone is coming to take from you much as you take from the environment, the environment needs to be paid back. Hmm? What I'm saying to you, to use a mathematical example, is this. We were in negative numbers. We were identified as an American and pursuing the happiness of, set of attachments and so forth. And, and, and every time we took, we owed. Hmm? Every time we take, acquire, we owe negative numbers. Now we've come to zero. Oh, how positive is zero in relation to negative numbers? It's big. Hmm? It's like, whoa, zero. I'm not at any longer moving and going down. With every movement where I think I'll go up, I go down. I borrow $100,000 from the bank, and then I read the note, and it says... This will be due, finished in 30 years, and you will have paid $300,000. Hmm? So this is, the, this is an example how the karmic world works. We move, we take, we owe. We're in negative numbers. Now we come to zero. It's very, the zero is like very abstract, because there's no things there. Hmm? We think everything is things. If you don't have things, you don't have anything. You don't, you aren't, you don't, you don't exist if you don't have things. Get more things. You'll be a better person, a bigger person. 
People will know you. Hmm? If you have more things, your name will be around and you'll be paid more or whatever. But no, we're talking about being more and by having less, having nothing. Hmm? But you have yourself, which is not a thing. So this is so extraordinary of an idea that many people just stop there and think, yes, I love to be. I'm loving being. It's called Atmananda. Atmananda. The, the, the bliss of the self. Hmm? The bliss of the self. Now I want to ask you, we're going to go a little bit further. Just a quick hop to the center. And then I'll conclude. So, the question is this. Which is better? To love to exist or to exist to love? Very good. I agree with you. Hmm? That is better. But then now there's something else. We're going in another direction. We were loving to exist. Ah, I loving to know that I exist. There's some bliss in this. Hmm? The bliss of knowing that I am is way bigger than I am American. Hmm? And, I, and, and even in that, I could feel for other people. Well, they have nothing. They have nothing. I could feel some love for them, but I, I can't get too close to them. Hmm? I've got to sit a few inches higher than them or something. You know, that's a <laughs> but, as you said, what's your name? Estelle. Estelle. I think, agree, I agree with you. It's better to exist to love than to love to exist. So we went from a false sense of being derived from having to giving up the having and the taking and finding that we exist in a much more profound way unto ourselves as a unit of consciousness. And that that was a great relief and in that sense a, a blissful experience. And I loved myself. I love myself. I Look at me. I exist. Hmm? I'm joyful about it. My, my joy knows no bounds. I never die. I, I, have no, I don't need anything. I'm just a pulsating unit of, of being, knowing, and I love it. Hmm? Now, we've gone from the circumference to you know, cl- somewhere closer to the center. Now, from our perspective, in my tradition, I want to go to the center. Hmm? And that is... Not be loving to be, hmm? loving to exist, but existing to love. Hmm? This is now becomes complicated, because the, the the circumference and the center are going to have similarities. They're going to be entirely different, but they're going to have similarities. Let me give you an example. If you go in the jungle hmm? and you meet a sadhu, a yogi, a mystic, right? Maybe she lives there, just a loincloth, you know, um, fruits drop from the trees, eat one sometimes, do meditation. Hmm? If I look at that sadhu, and and then I look at a monkey, say it's pretty similar. He doesn't wear much clothes, just eat fruits, hang from trees. They're pretty similar. Hmm? But they're very, very different, aren't they? Hmm? They're similar in appearance, but their consciousness is very, very different. Hmm? <laughs> so the center has an appearance that's similar to the circumference, but it's very, very different. I'll sing a nice 
verse from him in Bengali that <coughs> makes makes this point. If I can remember it, it's uh, yeah, that. Uh, hmm. Bhaya bicha jala hoi bitare anam no moi. Krishna premier adbutta charit. Bhaya bicha jala hoi. The character, charit, of prem. What is prem? <coughs> prem means love in Sanskrit. Hmm? Not just relief, the knowing that I exist and the happiness that comes from that, but prem. Prem has a positive connotation. Not taking is part of giving. But giving is more. I could not take from you, but that's not the same as giving to you. Hmm? Prem is giving, loving. Not taking is included in it. So inside of prem, love, spiritual love, wise love, the being and the knowing and the relief from material existence is all present, but there's something more there. Bayabisha Jalahoy, the characteristic of prem is that on the outside, it looks... Disconcerting. But inside is full of prem. That means the movement of prem looks similar to the movement of that person in the, with the conventional ego on the peripheral and on the circumference. But they are as apart as the circumference is from the center. Hmm? We come a very peculiar uh, idea, hmm? but very reasonable, hmm? is this. For loving, there must be shape. We went from forms, right? Like American form, Indian form, black form, white form, to like this formless place of being. We talked about being and no, it was kind of like formless, right? Hmm? I refer to it as Atmananda. We may say Brahmananda. Hmm? But Prem is different. Loving requires two. He said love will be evaluated on a scale and, and the measure will be to, by w- the, the degree of reciprocation will determine the measure of the love. Hmm? So the self by, by itself is a unit of bliss like a spark of the fire, but if it can be in touch in a reciprocal way with the fire, hmm? its capacity to experience bliss will be enhanced considerably. Hmm? Just as a simple example, if you if you you can love by yourself, kind of, or you could love with another. Well, you figure it out. It would be your capacity is enhanced considerably if there is another. Hmm? So Atmananda and Bhakti Ananda, they are. They're similar but very different. Hmm? Quantitatively different. Qualitatively different. Bhakti means there has to be another. Hmm? To do bhakti, there has to be another. Hmm? There has to be a union with the other. Hmm? The two have to become one and remain two at the same time. I know that's not logical, but it doesn't have to be. Love is not logical. Love knows no reason. So the union between the atma and Paramatma, hmm? the Godhead. In our school, actually, Patabi Joyce's guru's school too, Krishna Namacharya said, the goal of yoga is Vaikuntam. Vaikuntam, hmm? hmm. it means, it means that there, there, there's a land. Hmm? 
not made out of earth, water, fire, hmm? air. The subjective world that we're, we're a resident of as a unit of consciousness is the real world. Hmm? And there, there is the potential for wise love when all of the sparks are in uh, focused on the, the fire, so to speak, hmm? if you will. Hmm? And it, and that love has a shape. You know, we went from a very kind of idealism type of a, I am. It's very like, I am. But now to, to, to love, there has to be some shape, some form. If I'm an artist or a musician, I've got these things percolating in me, but only when they take shape on the canvas. Hmm? For example, in art, can you take advantage of it? And, and I can see it from my, ah, that's what it is. Yes. Ah. Huh? So, so we come from a world of false forms that are here today and gone tomorrow to a formless position. I am a unit of consciousness. And now we're going into the center and we're coming in touch with forms. But these are forms made out of consciousness. And it is said, oh, what is it said in... Uh, Ishwaraha Paramaha Krishna Satchirananda Vigraha. Like Patanjali says, Ishwar Pranidhan. You know the Ishwar of Patanjali? You know I'm referring to Yoga Sutra. Patanjali, the author of Yoga Sutra. He recommends that the best way for focusing the mind is to do Ishwar Pranidhan. Ishwar means the center, the controller. Hmm? He said, he's not teaching that you become the controller, but there is a controller. Hmm? That's kind of like, well, I don't know if I want a controller in my life, hmm? but let me go on. Hmm? Who's the Ishwar of Patanjali? Patanjali, historically, is a disciple of Vyas. Hmm? Vyas. The Ishwar of Vyas is Krishna. Hmm? Krishna's Ishwar Parama, means the supreme controller. I think, well, when that's getting really bad, he's a supreme controller. Not only the controller, but the supreme controller. But what does it mean? I'll give you a nice way to think about this. Hmm? It means this. I could control you physically if I, I, mean, I, I might be able to. If I locked you up and I controlled you physically, you would really know you were locked up. And you would really be upset and you'd want to get out. Right? So physically I could control you. Now, if I go more subtly, I could control you mentally. Hmm? And you might not even know you're being controlled. Like, let's say you get in a bad relationship and you can't see it. And your friend has to say, get out of there. Get, get away from that guy. He's bad for you. He's manipulating you. So with the mind and intelligence, we could more subtly control a person. They might not even know it, but they'd be more trapped than if you'd put them behind the bars. Hmm? These are very, like, unappealing forms of control, right? Hmm? But there's more comprehensive means of control than any mental, intellectual, or physical control. What is that? That is the control of love. You see, if I love you, I will control you. But what I mean by that is it won't be a problem because you will control me. Hmm? Because if I love you, hmm, 
it's because you love me. <laughs> hmm? And so I give up my control to you. You give up your control to me. I take your desires and make them mine. You take my desires and make them yours. Hmm? So the idea of being controlled by love is, is actually charming. It's, 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 secu- it's com- comforting. Hmm? When it said Ishwar Paramakrishna, you know you take Hinduism, they got like millions of gods and goddesses too. They're all with a small g, most of them. Except Shiva means consciousness. Hmm? Vishnu means everywhere. Omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. Hmm? This is not like Brahma or Indra. They're all doing something. They're all enfolded within nature. Hmm? They're all products of nature. Hmm? Powerful they represent powerful influences of nature that our lives are dependent upon. Hmm? The god of the wind, the god of the sun, and so forth. Hmm? But then there's a god that nature depends on. That's different. They depend on nature. And they appear in our minds, hmm? these gods, in conjunction with the sacred texts, in relation to forces of nature, ways of identifying and appreciating the forces of nature that we are dependent upon, for our lives. For sun, we depend to see and uh, light and so on and so forth. So we do the Surya Namaskar. Hmm? Right? Hmm? But there's a God with a capital G, Brahman, hmm? and Ishvara Parama, Krishna. This statement from the Samhita, Brahma, says what? That it, it, it has a supreme controller, and the name is Krishna, and it means who controls by Affection by charm. Look at all the gods with the small g and the goddesses. They've all got like riding on tigers, eight arms, 15 heads. They've got, you know, all kind of things going on. And Krishna's just doing nothing. Hmm? Nothing. Playing. Only playing. Krishna in Vrindavan, the cowherd, hmm? with the milkmaidens. He's just playing. That's all. Doing nothing. Only playing. Has no, nothing to accomplish nothing to achieve, nothing he has to do. Hmm? This is a depiction of the center, actually. It has nothing to do. Hmm? Hmm? It doesn't even answer to reason, because love doesn't answer to reason. If you want to play, you have to have some power. And I mean to say, if you want to take a vacation, for example, and play, you have to have worked. You have to have the power to take time off. You have to have accumulated some bank balance. Hmm? So that one who is only playing is all-powerful hmm? and controls in the most powerful way, by charm, by beauty, by affection. Hmm? And indeed, Krishna is the idea of the Godhead controlled by affection, who controls by affection and love, and is controlled by it. You see? This Brahman that was everywhere, omniscient, omnipresent, that I could identify with and be, and know that I be, ah, oh, what a relief. Hmm? That Brahman has a problem. The problem is, if you're everywhere, there's nowhere to go. If you know everything, there's nothing to do. Because you already know what's going to happen. You know? takes the excitement out of it. It's going to happen. So omniscience and omnipresence, as much as they might sound good from our present vantage point, hmm, 
we could be everywhere at once. <laughs> we could know everything. We don't know very much right now, so that sounds pretty good. But for he who knows everything and is everywhere, he knows that's a problem. Hmm? The problem is boredom, the biggest sin. Hmm? Not paying attention. Oh, he pays attention. Omniscience and omnipresence are a problem. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. Hmm? So what do you do when you're bored? Then you play. Hmm? That's called lila. Hmm? The center is moving. It's not still. The circumference was moving. Hmm? We were constantly moving because we were constantly being chased hmm? by the reactions of having chased ourselves and taken. I'm taking, I'm taking, and I think I'll be by taking, by acquiring, and somebody's coming after me to tell me, hey, that was mine, or you owe me now. Uh, so this is a problematic. So there's movement there. And then we came off the circumference to being and knowing, and we were still, oh, shanti, 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 peaceful. No, I don't have to move because I don't want anything. I don't need anything. Why should I move? If I'm full, why move? Hmm? Just sit peacefully. I am. I am. And I love being. Hmm? I love to exist, but I could exist to love. What is that? A curious thing. Exist to love. That means love means some movement. Hmm? There will be movement in the world of consciousness, like there is on the circumference movement. But it's a different kind of movement. What is the movement of Leela compared to the movement of Karma? Well, they may look similar. So we, Krishna is depicted in art with movements and so many things he's doing. And it looks like, well, people do that, I guess, kind of. <laughs> Two-armed people moving, playing a flute, having a girlfriend. Hmm? Looks pretty ordinary. Hmm? So I said before, the center and the circumference are going to have some, some similarity. Hmm? But there's a difference between karma and lila. Karma is the movement that we that is arises out of necessity, a perceived necessity. If I don't move, someone might get me. It might not be enough. I've got to I've got to get out there and get ahead. I've got to step on people's heads to get ahead. Hmm? I'm obviously I'm being very crude about it. In material existence. We do it in more sophisticated and subtle ways, but that's basically what we do. Hmm? That movement is out of necessity, but there's movement that's not out of a necessity, out of a need, but rather out of, out of, out of fullness, out of joy. There's one kind of joy where I'm happy. Huh, I don't have to move anymore. Wow. Huh. But then there's another kind of joy that you're so full that you do have to move, and you have to say, I'm full. Hmm? And, and, and dance and celebrate the fullness. Hmm? This is Leela. Movement that arises out of fullness. The static fullness of shanti, of peace, hmm? becomes dynamic in love. You see? There's two things. That's what they used to say. Peace and love, both we want. We don't want just the peace of stopping the war of taking and hunting and being hunted. Ah, relief, I be, and I know that I be, I love it. Hmm? But, but in that world of consciousness, there's something to do. 
and it's to love, hmm? to love the center, and that makes for movement. Hmm? And so our ideal, when I hear the, t- the idea, we are going, they told me, Swami, to the center of bliss, and I went there, I thought I'd tell you about our ideas about this, to enter into Leela, the play. When God says, I know everything, I'm everywhere, the problem, so let me play. And in the Krishna, Brahman, the Absolute, is playing, and he plays really hard. Hmm? Really good, in other words. So when you play really good, what happens? That you, if you, let's say in acting, if you really play the part, hmm, then you start thinking you are that person, practically. That's how you win the Academy Award or something. You actually take on the characteristics of that person. You get so absorbed in the role that you're playing hmm, that you enter it. So you can imagine when God plays, it's pretty good. He plays good. So Krishna means that feature of the Absolute that is playing. And that playing is a kind of ignorance, isn't it? Because he went from omniscience, which was problematic, to being kind of a divine ignorance. And it was blissful. Now I had something to do. Hmm? Hmm? And there was something I didn't know. What is it? Does Radha love me? I'm not sure, he asks in the Leela. Hmm? You don't know too much about Krishna Leela, perhaps it might not have heard, but Krishna's consort is Radha, so they always this play. Does she love me? Radha is bhakti, personified. Hmm? And Krishna is conquered by, by Radha. Hmm? We say, Jai Radhe, Jai Radhe, Radhe Vrindavaneshwari. The land of Krishna, the center, is ruled by Radha, hmm? by bhakti. Hmm? So, he who is the Ishwar Parama, the supreme controller, who has a form of being, knowing, and loving. The form, if Sat, Chit, and Ananda could take a shape. Hmm? That's what it meant by Krishna. Hmm? And in his unknowing, hmm, there's actually more knowing than there is in omniscience. Hmm? Why? And there's more being also than than an omnipresence. You think, if I'm omnipresent, I really do be. Wow. And I be everywhere. Hmm? I am and I am everywhere. Hmm? How can there be more being and more knowing than that? I'll tell you how. Hmm? You think of it yourself. When you love, if you are in love, you could live in the hollow of a tree, Right? Hmm? You wouldn't have the. I could take you and drop you off in the desert and say, "You own the Sahara Desert." There you are. Go for it. You own it. It's a lot of space. Hmm? Uh, but then the quality, I want to say, of that space hmm? would be given up in a moment for the quality of living under a rock hmm? in Nowheresville with the one you love. Hmm? The quality of the being and the quality of the knowing. Hmm? You don't need to know everything. Who cares about it? I know she loves me. <laughs> that's it. Hmm? That's, that, that's all I need to know. That's everything. Hmm? So the land, the center, hmm? if you will, on this map of the subjective world that extends 
to consciousness, the subjective unit being in the objective world. We went from the circumference all the way to the center. The center looks similar to the circumference. It's depicted in art, in drama, in music, in literature, by mystics, as a rural place, the land of Krishna, rural place. And so many cows, they just eat grass, which grows on concrete, even. Hmm? So it's like pretty cheap. And they give milk, which is very rich. They're well taken care of, protected. Hmm? We have a raw milk dairy. We protect all of our cows. You can come and have some milk with us and cheese and things. Mm-hmm. Of course, we, we only take from our own cows and we, there are queens there. So, mm. so that place is described like Krishna's place surrounded by an ocean of milk. It means affection. Milk is the, you know, the cow, here's, here's the calf. And a bag swells up and milk comes. You ladies must have some, you know, we have kids, you have some familiarity with that. It's not in my experience in this life. But. And so, poetically, that center is described like this. Surrounded by an ocean of milk, land of cows, means givers. Hmm? Krishna is called Gopal. It means, well, if I only give, who's going to take care of me? That is Gopal. He take care of the cows. Hmm? He protect you. Hmm? Gopal. He will take care of you. Don't worry. Give. And give wisely. Give to the center. Hmm? Like you would give to the root. And the whole tree will be nourished. Hmm? Hmm? And so somehow, the idea is that the center hmm, of this world of consciousness, hmm, here is existence, simple existence, and a kind of knowing, just like sometimes a young monk joins a monastery and um, a young monastic, let's say, and give it a genderless uh, uh, word, and she says, Swami, or he says, Swami, you know, I'm here, I'm meditating and chanting and so forth and living a lifestyle, but sometimes I wonder of what consequence is my life to the world, the whole world out there. Here I am on the mountaintop, in the forest, under the redwood, but what about the world? Hmm? Then I said, take, give it a little time. And then if you, you'll start to think in time. Swami, hmm? what consequence is the world to my life? Hmm? Just the opposite. Hmm? Hmm? So change yourself. Hmm? This is the solution to the world of problems. Hmm? And and through bhakti, there is prospect for going very far within to the center, I would say, arguably, from the circumference, to give up the having and the taking, come to being and knowing, and from being and knowing, come to loving in the full sense of the term. Hmm? Bhakti is a yoga discipline where there is always some slight difference between ourself and the center enough for there to be reciprocal dealings. Like there's similarity and oneness between a spark and a fire, but there's a difference too, right? With a spark, you can't cook <laughs> and you can't heat. With the fire, you can cook and heat. But the spark, at the same time, well, it's also fire. Huh? So we're like that, and that's why we have a problem at present, and the center never gets off center. 
we are off-center and that we are not focused on the center. Hmm? So a spark can leave the fire mm-hmm. and end up on the circumference. But the center never does that. If we were the center entirely ourselves, well, how do we get in this predicament? The center can be in ignorance only by choice. The ignorance, the divine ignorance, I was talking, the divine forgetfulness that allows for play and intimacy between the spark and the fire. If the spark is to have intimate relationship with the fire, the fire has to become spark-like in appearance. Let me put it in other terms. If I'm a finite being and I want to meet the infinite, how will I get close? The closer I get to the infinite, the more I'm going to feel finite. If I was to say to you, and I'm not, if I was to say I'm God, and you believed me, you might say, oh my God, and you might just move back a little bit. Oh my God. Hmm? But if I want to get close to you, hmm, then I have to take on a finite-like appearance that there could be intimacy. That is the idea of Krishna, hmm? who's everywhere, knows everything, takes a shape hmm, and plays in the subjective world, forms constitutive consciousness, the being, knowing, hmm, and loving. Hmm? And the spark that we are can enter into that loving affair hmm, in intimacy hmm, and control the supreme controller. <laughs> so this is an idea of center of bliss. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, it's a lot to think about. I mean, you don't... You just chant, you don't have to think about all that stuff. And you just go there. <laughs> That's the way to go there. But sometimes we need reasons. Or sometimes we're burdened by intelligence. It's a real burden. To, it has to be harnessed and and uh, and used for our you know, for our for our well being. To use our heads, as I said earlier, to to soften our hearts, not just to get a fat head and regurgitate something you've heard and people think you know something. That's not a very good thing to do. So it's been very rewarding for me to speak with you some things I said I had never said before, so I was listening to. And that's your good good help that I'm indebted to. So I hope I have occasion to visit you again sometime. You're welcome to visit us as uh, my student, Hari Bhakti, with her um, exaggerated um, introduction mentioned. We, we do have a, a community in... Uh, in, in Mill Springs, we have 150 acres. They were developing into an ashram and uh, community welcome to visit us. And we have a festival actually this this month, a 10-day festival in the woods. We have these kind of talks and kirtan and, of course, dairy products and other such things, organic cooking, all offered to Krishna. So you're welcome to come visit with us at any time. Thank you very much again. Hare Krishna. Mm-hmm.